Our mission at Crosspoint Baptist Church is we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We are going to conclude, I said that word, conclude our series to the New Testament book of Acts. And in case you're wondering, I counted the messages, 37. 37 messages. Uh, when I went through Mark, I counted those up, was 95. So this could have been like a three-year project, but I crunched it down, got us through Acts, and I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been blessed to preach through this, uh, through this book. And we've been calling this series the action of the church because that's what it was. It was God working through people to, to grow his church and bring apart his, his kingdom. So if you would turn your Bibles to Acts 28, and we're going to look at the whole chapter this morning, a sermon I've entitling God's Grace at Work. Let me bring you up to speed of what's been going on lately in the, in the book of Acts. Acts 22 to Acts 27, just that those chapters, Paul's been, um, he's, he's endured three years of custody, okay, he's been in jail. He's been through four different legal trials. Now, now think about it, who's been really persecuting Paul during these times? Well, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders have. The Jewish leaders, they're accusing the Apostle Paul of breaking the law. And then there's the Roman magistrates, the Roman government. They're really looking into these accusations that, that Paul's trying to start a riot. And really, both parties, both parties are more concerned with the process than they really are with, with uh, justice being served. I mean, this, the, all these trials, everything Paul's going through, it's a complete mess. And the Apostle Paul has faced lots of charges, lots of accusations, um, many many um, prosecutions. And they're bringing accusations against his character. They're bringing accusations against his loyalty to Israel. Well, we know that the Apostle Paul was a Jew. And they're bringing charges against his loyalty to Rome. But, but Paul was a Roman citizen. And, and they're, so, they're also bringing charges against his ethics, against his beliefs. And so here's what Paul did. He leans into his citizenship. Paul was a Roman citizen, and he says, I am a Roman citizen. That's really Paul's ace in the hole, okay, because he's going to appeal to Caesar. He's going to appeal to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen. That brings him some clout, and that has some privileges and, and freedoms that most people just simply don't have. And when you appeal to Caesar, Caesar is the, the federal government in Rome. He, he, he is the Supreme Court. I've been trying to have a piece of candy in my mouth, but I can't talk and have candy in my mouth at the same time. I just can't get it done. I'm sorry. But anyways, and so notice what Paul did. Paul said, I appeal to Caesar, and, and he says, now I'm going to go to Rome. And I think maybe Paul was like, knew this could be his last trip ever. Now, in Acts 26, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, and so to Caesar he will go. And so at this point, he's, he's on his way to Rome, and there is a Roman centurion named Julius. He's the guy in charge of, of making sure Paul gets to Rome. And when you think about it, at least in my opinion, this is Paul's fourth mission trip. Okay, If you study the book of Acts, theologians agree that there was three different mission trips that Paul went on, where he left his sending church, he went on this mission trip, and then he came back. But this is, in a sense, his fourth and his final trip because there'll be no return voyage for Paul. You see, what Paul usually did, he went to these different cities and then he preached the gospel. 
And people came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. They recognized they were sinners. They cried out to God and God saved them. And there was churches that were planted. And, and the gospels moving forward and great things were happening. But this trip, this last trip, this wasn't exactly planned for Paul. So this is what they did. They left the port of Caesarea, and they sailed north along the coastline of Asia, and they came to the island of Crete, and there they were shipwrecked in the island of Malta. And eventually Paul is going to make his way to Rome, and he will stand before Caesar. And think about it. This is where the Apostle Paul, he will be on the biggest stage of the world and preaching the gospel. So Acts 28, let, let me highlight this. Let me do something that I never, ever do. Okay, usually I start with the first verse and we walk line by line, verse by verse. This is what God said. This is what it means. This is how we apply it to our life. But I'm not going to do that. Today I'm going to go to the end of the book. I want to go to the very end of the book because we're going to go to the end of the book and we're going to look at the very beginning of the book. And I think these two bookends of Acts, it's really going to show us Paul's heart. And his aim and his desire and his call upon his life. Look in Acts 28, verse 30. It says, He lived there two years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So at the end of this book, the Apostle Paul, he's on house arrest. And he's in prison, and he's really paying his own way to be in prison. Think about that. He's on house arrest. He's paying his own way so he could tell people about Jesus during two years while he's in custody. And Luke tells us that, that, that Paul welcomed all who came to him. He didn't turn anybody away. People came to him and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And I just love how the book of Acts ends. How, how this book ends and it tells us so much about the heart of the Apostle Paul. Because think about it, despite difficulties, despite setbacks, despite hardships, despite pain, despite all the stonings and the beatings and everything he went through, the sorrows, the persecution, all of that, all the legal trials, God was using the Apostle Paul to advance the gospel. And so he's giving Paul the opportunity to speak, the opportunity to preach the gospel. And it was through some difficult times that Paul was doing that. That brings me to my first point this morning. Point number one, God is gracious to use us in his work. Now please recognize this. If you don't know this, we need to just, just wrap our brain around the fact that God doesn't have to use us. But yet he chooses to use us. Do you know why the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is the Great Co-Mission? The, the mission, it's really a co-mission. Okay? The reason the Great Commission, which by the way isn't the Great Suggestion, it is the Great Commission, the reason why it's the Great Co-Mission is those two little letters on front of that word. It's a co-mission. Because if you obey, if you choose to go on mission with God, then you're not alone. I like to say it like this, when you come to faith in Christ, God's got a pair of work gloves for you. He's got some leather boots, and he's got, you're to get to work for the kingdom of God. Not that our, our, our work saves us. It doesn't. But the Bible says that God has good works 
for us that he's prepared before time, beforehand that we should walk in them. And so if you're a believer, time to get to work. Time to get busy. Time to, to go on mission with God as he builds his kingdom through you. Anybody want to be on mission with the God of the universe? I mean, that's excitement right there. I mean, the, the God of the universe, the creator of the stars and the moon and the sun and everything like that, you can be on mission with him? I mean, God is so gracious to, to use us to, to work about and to bring about this plan of redemption as, we, as he shares the plan through us. Read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, <clears throat> this is really hard, by the way. I need next week, don't let me yell next week. Say, hey, John, knock it off. Don't yell. Okay, that's, we're putting Dave in charge of that to tone me down a little bit. But anyways, therefore, if anyone was in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, what did he give us? The ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal, where? Through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. I just love that That. Anyone in verse 17. Did you read that? If anyone. You know what that means? That means it doesn't matter the baggage of your past. It doesn't matter of your heritage. It doesn't matter your parentage. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter your racial identity. It doesn't matter. Anyone. That means you. That means you. It means you. It means any of us. It means me. If anyone. That means the old is gone, the old sin, the old shame, the, the old guilt, the old hang-ups, the old habits, all that old junk. It's all gone. I mean, white clean, forgiven. It means starting over, a new beginning. Anyone excited about that? I'm real excited about that, if you couldn't tell. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. That Jesus, he moves into your life. He doesn't just change a part of you. I mean, he changes all of you. He moves in and he changes you from the inside out. The old has passed away. Behold, the, the new has come. And it's all from God. That should really reassure us. And it's not a work we can do. It's God's work in us through Christ. It, it, and so God gave us, he gave believers, this ministry of reconciliation, which really ties to the first point that I just gave us. You see, the ministry of reconciliation is where we go when we preach the message of reconciliation. That we are God's ambassadors. The, the, and the question we should think, well, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who goes and represents the king in a foreign nation. So that means we're part of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, he says, you're not in the world, you're in the world, excuse me, but you're not of the world. So believers are part of a greater kingdom. Our home is not this home that we spend so much time worrying and fretting about. No, this isn't even our home. We're just visitors here. Our home is with Christ. So our life, our identity is with Jesus. 
And so we are here on this earth and we're representing a higher authority. We're representing the highest authority, the greater king, the greatest king and his kingdom. I want to look at what Luke said at the beginning of this book. Let's go all the way back to chapter 1 that we began back in January. <clears throat> look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he represented himself alive. I don't know about you, but I get excited about that word, alive, to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. And while standing with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when the Lord had come together, they asked him, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a silly question. And he he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the season that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in the first book that Luke wrote, we call that the Gospel of Luke, he, he writes this man named Theophilus. And Theophilus most likely was a Gentile. And he's the guy that's funding Luke's research project. Uh, The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Okay, two different books, both written by the same author. And he was, this guy Theophilus, I think he was curious about Jesus. And that's what we need to know. I think there's people that are just curious about this Jesus, who he was and, and, and what he did. And everybody's curious about Jesus because we are made for eternity. We're made for something greater than this world. We are. And so here's this guy, Theophilus. He, he gets with Luke, the doctor, the historian. And, and Luke compiles the oral and written accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. And he even references the first book, the Gospel of Luke. Acts 1.1, that's the sequel to Luke. Luke said, and all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That word began, I find that very interesting because that tells us the gospel's not the end. Okay? The gospel is the beginning. That the, the God is at work. And sometimes we say in the book of Acts, some people say, well, it's, uh, it's the Acts of the Apostles. I like to say it's the Acts of the Church because God was working through other people than just the Apostles. And, 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 and God, the Holy Spirit, he's moving through people to build his church into, into to action and to advance the glory of, of the kingdom of God. And so God is advancing the kingdom. Do you know what that means to you personally? That means God wants to move through your life. He does. And he, just as he moved through the book of Acts, God still does that today. He's moving in, in your life today. And did you notice Jesus didn't just hang around for a few hours, give a few instructions, and go back to the right hand of the Father? No, he hung around for 40 days. And he was giving people ample time to 
to see his glorified, spiritual, resurrected body. And people saw him and people touched him. People ate breakfast with Jesus. How awesome is that? And they hugged him. And they heard his voice. Forty days. And, and during that time, he's speaking about the kingdom of God to his followers. And did you see that question the disciples asked him? They asked him that question. They said, Lord, which means boss, the guy in charge. Lord, are you going to restore, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? I think they're like, hey, Jesus, boss, God in the flesh, we're ready. We're ready for you to trample Rome. Destroy your enemies. We're ready. Let's do that, Jesus. That's going to be awesome. Why don't you go ahead and do that? And Jesus, I think they're like, hey, Jesus, why don't you roll up your sleeves and why don't you get to work and deliver us out of the kingdom of Rome and deliver us to the kingdom of God? Why don't you do that, Jesus? And Jesus said, slow your roll. Jesus said, stay in your lane, bro. That's a real loose translation. Real loose. Jesus said to him, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. I think Jesus is saying, hey guys, wrong question. Wrong question, because it's not about you. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not about your timing. This timing is of the Father. When I'm going to come back and when I'm going to restore everything, the disciples were off for about 2,000 years, give or take a century or so. And, and did you see there's a progression of the witness? He says, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, that's what's going on in the book of Acts. I mean, go back to Acts chapter 2. This is where the church is, is birthed in Jerusalem. Uh, there, thousands of people got saved. And then months later, more, tens of thousands got saved. Somewhere from twenty to 25,000 people got saved in a, in a very short period of time. So the early church, historically, they say, was about 100,000 people. Do you think they had more than one service at First Baptist Jerusalem? I really do. They did. And we've had over 300 here on one day. It was awesome. Easter last year, 314 to be exact. I remember that. It was a lot of work. It was awesome. But could you imagine 100,000 people? I like to think about that stuff. What would it look like if 5,200 were here on one day? That's what I dream about. And so the gospel back in, in when, right that time, it's, it's spreading like wildfire. And there's progression that you see through the book of Acts. And we see it through Peter's ministry. We see it through Paul's ministry. Remember Acts chapter 9 where, where Saul of Tarsus got saved? What does God tell a man named Ananias about Saul it's in Acts chapter 9 verse 15? It says, but the Lord said to him, go. For he, speaking of Saul of Tarsus, he is a chosen instrument of mine. Wouldn't you like God to say that about you? That you are a chosen instrument of God. And what did he say about Saul? A chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Jesus said that Paul would carry the name of God before Gentiles and kings. Well, if you remember Acts 24, 25, and 26, he stood before governors, Felix and, and Festus, and then he stood before the king, Agrippa. At the, at the last trial, Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. 
so to Caesar he will go. Then in Acts 27, there's a little difficulty, using that term loosely too, getting to, to, to stand before Caesar. They ran into a storm. It was really, it was a hurricane, and they spent two weeks in a storm. Got shipwrecked on a reef, and the ship was breaking apart, and there were some people who couldn't swim. Imagine being on the ocean, you're on a ship, and the ship breaks apart, and you can't swim, and there's guys that are holding on to chunks of the boat, and people are yelling, swim for it. We think we have it hard. We don't have it hard. The Apostle Paul had it hard. But here's what I'm reminded. God is so gracious to us that God would invite us and ask us to to be part of of his great work. And and God's hand was always on on, on, on Paul. He was always God's hand protecting him and encouraging him and guiding him because when Paul launched out his first missionary trip, it was rough right from the start, wasn't it? Paul went to these different cities, and he told people about Jesus, and some people welcomed him. Other people threw rocks at him. Hit him in the head with rocks until blood ran down his face. And so they drug him out of the city, and they left him to die. Multiple occasions, he was beaten within an inch of his life. He was imprisoned a bunch of time. He faced hostile fire, great persecution. He he experienced a heavy burden for the church. And he loved the church. And he wanted these believers to to continue walking for God despite opposition they were facing. Can you see the glory of God? God's hand of protection in the life of Paul. God was always with Paul. Because he survived the stonings, God protected him, and God opened doors, and God closed different doors. And God was bringing timely encouragement to Paul when he was down in the dumps. And that's what God does in all of our lives. Because when you're going through hard days and hard times, and you're down in the dumps, God's there for us. His timing's perfect. And he's going to bring people into our lives to encourage us, and then also use us to encourage others. With that, let's pick it up. Acts 28, verse 1. It says, After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. And so, this island is in the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 60 miles south of of Sicily and off the shores of Italy. Keep reading verse 2. The native people, put on my glasses so I can see better, showed, showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us because it began to rain it was cold when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire a viper came out from because of the heat and fastened onto his hand I mean this really shows us a, a glimpse of the heart of the apostle Paul because think about what he's gone through he's exhausted he's tired he's he's weary I would have taken a nap but that's not what Paul did He's just appealed to Caesar. He he wants to get to Rome. He just wants to take care of this whole mess. And did you see what Paul was doing? He's serving others. Despite everything he's been through, he's gathering wood and and getting the fire going so these other guys can be warm. And, and, And he's pouring his life out to others, and a snake bites him. Look at verse 4. Because the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand. They said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. 
Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the, the creature from the fire and suffered no harm. They, they were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune to come to him, they changed their mind and said, he is a god. They went real quick, he's a murderer, to he is a god. And like right now, that's weird. Now in the neighborhood of that place the, the, were lands belonging to the chief man of the, of the island named Publis, who received us and entertained us hospitality for three days. So this guy Publis, he must be the governor of Malta. He's some kind of high-ranking official. and We know Malta is part of the Roman Empire. But there was 276 men on that ship. And this guy received them all and entertained them for days. He extends hospitality to all these men. And there's something that we should learn from this guy. Because he's not even a believer. Yet he's willing to extend hospitality to complete strangers. The Bible tells us that we're to entertain strangers and to invite them into our homes, into our lives. And it's so important that we do that. Keep reading verse 8. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had disease also came and were cured. They honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put us on board what, whatever we needed. This brings me to my second point this morning. Point number two. God is gracious to provide us a platform into people's lives. Because check this out. Paul gets stuck on this island. That wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't Paul's plan to get stuck on this island. In verse 11, we're going to read this in a minute. They were there for three months. Now think about this. If you had been through everything Paul would have done, what would you have done? Because Paul could have done this. Paul could have just pulled out a, a lawn chair, got on the beach, and sat back with a funny drink with a little umbrella in it. After all, everything he's been through, Paul could have taken it easy, right? But he didn't. He, he serves is what he does. He pours his life into these people. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God for three months. Paul is taking advantage of the opportunity that God has brought him to so that he will invest his life into these people. And I find it very interesting because sometimes God wants to move in our lives. And he wants to do something in an unusual way. And maybe we're thinking it's an unexpected way. But let me, here's, here's a question. I'm expecting feedback here. Anybody have a busy life? Three of us, four of us, okay. The rest of you guys, God bless you. But anyway, so often our, our schedules are so jam-packed with, with this different stuff and priorities and, and football games and your voice and whatever else. But sometimes God's like, hey, I've got you where you are because I want to use you in these people's lives. I want you to be a blessing to somebody else. And sometimes we're like, hey, I'm just waiting for God to open a door. And then, then, I'll, 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 then I'll let God use me in, in this, this way but maybe sometimes when, when we come to an obstacle in our busy life, maybe that's the moment where God's like, okay, I have you here. I know this obstacle's here, and I want you to open your mouth and preach the gospel. You know what we should do? We should walk through that door in faith. 
It's all about taking a step of faith and walking through that door because I think Paul was super tired. I think Paul was exhausted. But yet he uses this time in Malta to advance the kingdom of God. You see, I think Paul was a guy that had a long view perspective. Read what he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Paul says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul, Paul taps into this society that, of reaping and sowing and the harvest of this farm culture. I think Paul's saying, you know what, if we don't give up, you might be tired. You're going through a lot, but keep going. Keep pursuing, keep grinding, keep living your life as an example of faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you keep grinding it out, there's going to be this harvest. There's going to be these believers come to faith because of what God's going to do through you. And Paul took advantage of this for three months. He's he's stepping into those, those opportunities. He's embracing them by faith. And he trusted God for the results. All the changing circumstances, it didn't matter to Paul. New people, different ways of doing things, he embraced it all. Because I think Paul understood that this shipwreck, it wasn't a coincidence. It was not a coincidence that he is stuck on this island because of bad weather and he's stuck there for three months. Here's my third point for us. Point number three. God is gracious to provide us encouragement along the journey. Aren't you thankful that God gives us encouragement? When you're on this co-mission with him, aren't you thankful for that? Because God is in the business of encouraging his, his children because he wants to mold us and shape us and change us into the, the image of his son, Jesus. And he's with us every step along the way. Look in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship and had wintered on the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as, as figurehead. The twin gods that Luke is talking about there, there's these two false gods of, of Castro and Pallax. These are two mythological gods that people would put on front of their boats that was supposed to protect them during storms and what be you. How's that working out for you guys? You're on this island stuck for three months and I think those false gods aren't helping even in the least little bit. But anyways, keep looking at verse 12. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we, we made a circuit and arrived in Regilum. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puttoli. It's a hard word for me to say for some reason. There we found brothers, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. So they're trying to get to Rome, and all of a sudden they have to take this detour. This detour actually connected them to these believers. And I, and I just love that last little statement. This little parenthetical phrase where Paul said, or Luke, excuse me, said, and we came to Rome. Talk about that just real quick because that, that, that's, that's so significant. Paul's trying to make his appeal to Caesar. He's trying to get in front of Caesar. And they, they met some believers along the way. There's this pit stop, this, this detour. Because it was about hanging out with these believers. And this is what I hope we see from this text. If, if you, if, uh, this isn't up on the notes, but maybe write this down. People are not interruptions. Let me say that again. People are not interruptions. 
And here's the lesson for us. Paul's trying to let us know that people are more important than your schedule. People are more important than your agenda. People are more important than your plan. Because sometimes we see people as interruptions. We think, man, well, I'm just so busy. I got this stuff to do, and I've got my, my checklist. I got to get all this stuff done. And then there's a phone call. Then someone stops in your office. There's, there's a knock on the door. Someone comes to your house. In those times where there's this detour that happens, I think what God is saying, he's saying, hey, these people I brought to you, they're more important. So, so let's not see people as interruptions. Let's see those people coming into our lives as God's divine opportunity to preach the gospel. God's opportunity he's brought into our lives to minister and to care for somebody whether they be a believer or an unbeliever. And then Luke says, and so we came to Rome. There was a detour, some believers, they ministered to them, and all of a sudden, bam, they made it to Rome. After three and a half months, that's a long trip, trying to get to Rome. Read Romans chapter 15, verse 29. Paul says, Know that when I come, I will come within the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You see, prior to, to this trip, Paul had wrote this letter to Rome, and, and, and he says, hey, he's letting the church know, hey, when I get there, I desire to come and see you, and I want you to see you, and I want to be a blessing to you. Well, guess what? Paul's finally made it. He's there after all this time, all the water under the bridge. Paul's finally made it to Rome. Look in verse 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the form of, of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with soldiers who guarded him. And I find it very interesting because there in verse 15 it says, to meet us. If we translate that from the Greek to the English, it's a formal delegation is sent by the church to meet Paul. This wasn't some casual meetup. The church of believers in Rome were sending these guys to meet with the Apostle Paul. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God that he got to spend time with them. And he's encouraging, he's being encouraged by these believers because he wants to get to Rome and, and Paul was allowed to stay by himself, not really by himself because he's got the soldiers with him. And he sees these people's blessings. So I want you to see that, that God will encourage you during those times when, when we're down in the dumps. Because God has designed that this church and the church in general, as believers, we should be connected with other believers. There's a very popular idea that, that, that you can live just the Christian life by yourself. And, and be. there's an old saying that says, I can be just as good a Christian by myself as I can in the church. Here's the deal. It's a lie. You can't. You can't do it by yourself. That's what we see in the Bible. God wants us to connect in big group and also in small groups inside the church and also outside the church. And that's why our small groups are so important. Somebody said, Pastor John, why are you always hammering small groups? Because you can't do it alone. You can't live the Christian life by yourself. You need other people. You need encouragement. Also, you need to be an encouragement in someone else's life. 
so that your, your marriage could be the Christian marriage to the fullest, so that you being a parent, you have that, that help. We need other people. And so if you're not connected to other people, you're really missing out on what God has for you in your Christian life. Keep reading, look at verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of Rome. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because, they, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charges to bring against my nation, for this reason, therefore, I asked to see you and speak to you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing these chains. And they said to them, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has report or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For we, with this regard to this sect that we know that everyone is spoken against. Paul just said, It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing these chains. You're thinking, Well, what is the hope of Israel? It's Jesus. Jesus is the hope of Israel. Paul says, because of Jesus, I'm wearing these chains. I think Paul's like, you know, I love the Jewish nation. I love them. They're my fellow Jewish brother. And I want them to hear the gospel. I want them to place saving faith in Jesus. Paul's saying, I'm willing to suffer, shackled in chains, so people can hear the gospel. And I find it very interesting that these Jewish leaders, they're like, hey, we've heard about this sect of Christianity. Tell me more. I find it amazing. And so they're very curious about Christianity. Hey, share more about this Christianity thing. I find it amazing. Look at verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Let me say this real quick here, because there are some people who say, you know what, I just love and serve the God of the New Testament. That God of the Old Testament, he was so mean and judgmental and harsh, but the God of the New Testament, he's just love, 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 big love fest in the New Testament. You can't do that. Okay? The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is the same God. God didn't change his address somewhere along the way. So here Paul is using the Old Testament to convince these Jewish people that Jesus is in the Old Testament. That Jesus is God. So, so that's what Moses wrote about. He's declaring this coming Messiah, this Messiah King, the suffering servant. It's all speaking about Jesus. That the Messiah would come and he would atone for the sins of the world. That's what Paul was trying to convince in verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said. Very sad word here. But others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying, your fathers 
through Isaiah the prophet. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears could barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God, it has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Here's my fourth point. Hopefully this point will get you kind of excited because I love this point. Point number four, God is gracious to save. I find it so amazing that some people believe and other people don't believe. And it's all because of God. Some people believe and their heart is open to Jesus and there are some people who say, no, I don't want to believe that. Because God said in His word, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. He's saying, you'll hear, but you're deaf. You're going to see, but spiritually speaking, you're blind. It was the prophet Isaiah that said, your heart has grown dull. And I find it so amazing that the apostle Paul, he's talking about hearing and seeing, but really it's about the heart. It's about a heart that's grown dull. In verse 28, he says, therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul saying, listen, I, I love you and I'm appealing to you as a brother because our people, the Jewish people, they didn't hear. Our people, the Jewish people, they didn't see, they didn't embrace the promises of this coming Savior, the Messiah. He's saying all the Old Testament's about Jesus. So here's the big takeaway that I see in this passage. Paul's basically saying, you can be right with God only through Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying for for this hope of salvation, we have, it's in Christ. And it's only in Christ. There's no other way. We can have access to God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because of the cross, we can be forgiven. We can be made clean. we We can have a new life. And it's undeserved. It's unmerited. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. It, it, is, it is never uh, achieved. It is only received. It was never performance-based. That's what Paul is saying. The Old Testament, you weren't saved because you slit some neck of some lamb. It's because you placed faith in God. The way you were saved in the Old Testament is the way you were saved in the New Testament. Nothing's changed. It's all because of Jesus. It's when you cry out and you say, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. God will save you. And he will forgive you. And he will change you. And he will be in your life forever. That's the message of hope. Let's close it out. The last two verses. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He lived there two whole years. At his own expense. Paul's on house arrest. He's paying to be in jail. He's got the centurions, these soldiers, these people that watched him. And he's welcomed everybody that's coming to him. And he's preaching the gospel. He's teaching about Christianity, about the resurrection. And about Je- it's all about Jesus. 
And this guy who used to be Saul of Tarsus is now the Apostle Paul. What in the world happened? I'll tell you what happened. Paul would say, well, there was a day I was on the road to Damascus. And suddenly a bright light, and I heard this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul would have said, who are you, Lord? The Lord God would have said, and he did say, I'm Jesus. And Paul would go on to preach the gospel despite everything that happened to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And he did it here for two years. Two years on house arrest. And what's he doing? He's investing in people. He's investing in this gospel message. So Paul, who was Saul, his life was radically transformed by God. By God in his grace. In the early years, he was isolated out in the, the desert for three years. The book of Galatians tells us about that. I think those were some private years with God where God was radically changing who Saul was. I think God had some hard work to do in Saul's heart. He was preparing Paul for future ministry. I get excited about that. Because God was on the move. God had big plans for Paul. And the Holy Spirit came and, and drove him. He compelled him and launched him into the world on these mission trips. And these, these people got saved and churches were planted. At the end of his life, he writes Second Timothy. And that's his last book. And very close to the end at that point and he's on house and rest and he's still investing in people and he's proclaiming the gospel and teaching about Jesus Christ and so I'm going to leave you with this one thought Paul is telling us this one ultimate supreme real truth about the Bible this whole thing's about Jesus it's all about Jesus Okay, um, The Old Testament says Jesus is coming. The Gospels say Jesus is here. And Acts to Revelation, do you know what it says? Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Did you know that Jesus is coming back? The only question is, are you ready for Jesus to come back? Like Paul, we need to live our lives investing in people. Let us be bold, knowing that God's at work, God has a plan, and God will use you in people's lives because we all need His grace. We primarily invest in people with the gospel. What's the gospel, you ask? I'm glad you asked that question. We need to know that we're all sinners, every single one of us. And the only way we can be made right with God through what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. If you've never called on Jesus, I would ask you to do that today. To cry out something along the lines of, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me from my sins. And I say this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.